Welcome everyone to another episode of Steeping Together, the podcast where we explore the vast world of tea over a cup of tea with tea enthusiasts. I'm your tea-obsessed host, Marika, and as usual, completely delighted to be with you all here today. Tea is such a fun topic. I mean, it's one of the reasons we started this podcast. But there is no denying that the history of tea is one that is drenched in a complicated and unpleasant reality. From colonialism to war, tea's history has been plagued with issues such as inequality, poverty, and lack of access to basic human rights, some of which still persist today. But there is hope. The first step in making the world and the tea industry a better place is to fully acknowledge the issues at hand and to take an active role in ensuring that from grower to cup, systemic issues that inhibit the advancement of everyone's circumstances are effectively addressed and tackled. Now, in order to get a better understanding of how our industry is working together to address these important issues and to ensure the tea we drink benefits us as much as the people who produce it, we have invited Jenny Costello of the Ethical Tea Partnership to dive deep into the work that they have been doing since 1997 to create a fairer, better, and more sustainable tea industry for workers, farmers, and the environment. Welcome, Jenny. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. So lovely to have you. Um, I think you may be the person who's joining us from the furthest away, geographically speaking. Yes, but no carbon footprint. It's all virtual. So yes, <laughs> probably. But where else Where else to talk about tea but in Britain, you know? So delighted to join you. Perfect. So would you care to introduce yourself the way you'd like to be introduced? Okay, thank you. So I'm Jenny Costello. As you mentioned, I'm the Executive Director of the Ethical Tea Partnership. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about the Ethical Tea Partnership or ETP um, as the conversation goes on. But a bit of background, um, a bit of my background and why I love the role and why I love the organisation. The, the main appeal of Ethical Tea Partnership is I believe in the power of business to to have a positive impact through its business models. And we'll talk a lot more about what that means. But really, I think some businesses are missing an opportunity by the way they operate. And and over the years, I've been working in responsible business, sustainable business for about 20 years. Over the years, um, I'm increasingly convinced that there's more that companies can do. Um, I worked in Asia for 11 years um, and I, I realized that actually one of the sectors, one of the industrial sectors that's having most positive, positive impact is agriculture and food. It's also one of the most complex um, and has the greatest risks in terms of social and environmental impact. So tea is, of course, an agricultural commodity. I um, know that the Ethical Tea Partnership works closely with business um, it, it, we we work towards the sustainable development goals. This is all the kind of tick 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 stuff that I love, and um, and I and I really embrace challenging partnerships as well, where um, unusual bedfellows are the ones who can learn the most from each other, and it's just that challenge of getting those people into the room together that I really rise to and thrive on so so that's me that's a bit about me um we'll always be passionate about these things and find it hard to let it go you know I wish I had a better way to say this but that is so cool like that is... <laughs> oh it's incredibly tiresome it's, it, it's um it's self-righteous sometimes but it, you know uh it, when I say I can't let it go it is just something that once you get in, interested in the role of business and once you start to see what businesses often unintentionally impact and influence it, it it's really I, I can't walk away from it it I just feel there's a role for us to work with businesses to to improve what they're doing and, and I love it I really do you know I can't commend you enough because you know as someone who's I've been in the tea industry for many, many years now. I've been drinking tea ever since I was a child. One of the things that I can never get away from is the history of tea. Um, yeah. I'm fascinated by the history of tea in a really kind of morbid and sad way because it's not a happy history. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and I think even 
myself, and this is not to put myself on a pedestal or anything, but even myself who's in constant contact with this product has been for many, many years is aware of the history. Don't even get me started on the opium wars, please. Um, had this kind of notion when I started getting into the business that those issues don't exist anymore because we're somehow more enlightened in the 21st century, that we're somehow better, that we're not, you know, enslaving people and ripping them away from their culture in order to benefit from this beverage. And honestly, the more you investigate, the more you realize nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Yeah. And and I think, um, Having said, I've worked for about 20 years in, in this kind of line of work, not specifically in tea. Um, I joined this organisation and this role and, and I'm constantly amazed at just how deep rooted and complex the issues are. Um, it, and it, it is it's something about the conscientious consumer. You know, um, we maybe don't ask enough questions. It's that inconvenient truth. We could very quickly end up not consuming anything if we wrestled with the, some of the moral um, issues around around the food on our table and the, and the drinks we consume. But I think the 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 way to to address that is to try and understand and to try and make informed choices rather than beat yourself up and feel guilty about these things. So so there are definitely organisations trying to get it right, and it's understanding who are those organisations and how can you support them and and acknowledge what they're doing. So there's all, there's always the kind of way to make better choices, I think. Um, I'm, not, I'm not for a minute denying that the issues exist. It, it's just understand the issues and understand how you can make better choices uh, relating to those issues. Absolutely. I think I completely agree with you. It's not about making anybody feel guilt for not having done anything in the past to make it better. It's about saying this is the reality of the situation and you have a choice. I personally cannot care about every issue that I feel is important because I'm just one woman. You know what I mean? I the burden of thinking about these things at 6 a.m. when I'm making my cup of tea my mental health is not strong enough to sustain that. Okay. It's just not. Yeah. And I, I mean, you, you joke about it, but you know, uh, mental health issues are really widespread in the sector um, of development and all, all the people trying to work and grapple with these issues. Um, it, it's widespread, you know, enough is never enough. Um, you know, we're, if you just take something, a small issue like global poverty, for example, um, <laughs> Sorry, you know, a small yeah, issue like small global poverty. Issue. Just a tiny little, yeah. you know. <laughs> so so when 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 do you start working on that if if you decide that that's something you want to address and and the same with gender inequality and and all of these issues appear in tea supply chains unfortunately. So it we do have to be careful that um you know, firstly, we don't overpromise what we're we're trying to do, but also that we don't make cons- consumers feel so racked with guilt that they they can't support the good companies because they're not even confident that that's the right thing. And finally, that we don't burn ourselves out just worrying um, about every single issue. Uh, you know, how much is enough, and how much more can I do? I think that's what I really like about um, the ethical tea partnership about ETP is. I, you know, I, I was joking about mental health, but like, as you said, it's something that is a reality for so many people and we have to acknowledge it. And thinking about all of these issues is excessively overwhelming and scary mm. and daunting. Um, what I liked about your website was how clearly defined and cogent your methods of tackling these complex issues mm. are, because it's, 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 overwhelming to think that, oh, I'm enjoying my cup of tea. Everything's fine. God, I really hope that no one's suffering from like gender inequality and like a fair wage gap that is disgusting or, you know, can't support their children just so that I can have a pleasant morning. You know, like it's, it's, it's a very, very scary and tidal wave like series of issues. But when I went to your website, which I'm now unhealthily obsessed with, um, I really just appreciated like the systems that you've put in place to deal with these issues. So one of the things I really latched onto personally was you have three E's and three P's. The three E's being economy, equality, and environment. And the three P's being programs, pilots, and policies. I'd like you to kind of elaborate a little bit on that because I found it to be 
very reassuring that, as you said, it's not just like over promising and we're going to promise rainbows and unicorns and everybody's going to be happy. It's like, no, no, we need to have systems in place in order to honestly tackle these issues. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Marika. I think, um, I'll be very honest, the three E's and the three P's are because I have a very simple mind um, and it's a memory aid. You know, if I'm mid-sentence, I'm thinking, what what were the other things? No, it's three E's, three P's. I can always come back to it. And what's been really um, rewarding for me since since we did the work on this the strategy where we articulated those three E's and three P's is that people are starting to use that language and, and repeat and say it back to me. So it, having some alliteration definitely helps people to to grasp the issues um so if we start i'm going to go through those threes and three pieces you asked me to but then i might if i may just tell you a little bit of the, the kind of history of etp and why we got to the three p's because i think there's a there's a story there that might help listeners understand a bit more about our our model a I love stories. B, the floor <laughs> is yours. <laughs> All, right. Okay. All right, we could be here a long time. But I love it. Let's go, with the, let's go with the three E's and the three P's. So our three E's are, as you say, economy, equality, and environment. Let's start with economy. Um, and it comes back to my passion for responsible business. Um, we are not anti-profit. We are not against businesses doing well, but we think that more people should benefit from the business of tea. Um, and what that means is um, the, the supply chain actors. So if you're looking at who's growing your tea, who's plucking your tea, who's producing your tea, because there is the factory process to take the leaf to the cup, um, who's trading it, who's shipping it, who's selling it, who's packing it, who's blending it. Everybody's entitled to, to make some money from that. Uh, arguably, the final price of tea when divided between all of those stakeholders, doesn't go very far. But it, what is absolutely clear is um, at the minute, the value is not distributed evenly. So the people who are at the bottom of that supply chain, the growers and the pluckers, are often earning very, very low wages and what we would describe as below living wages. So they're not earning enough to sustain a very basic acceptable standard of living and whether that's the the people who are employed to pluck tea on plantations um or the smallholder farmers who grow tea just a moment on smallholder farmers these are people who have small plots of land and choose to grow um small quantities and then sell those the, the tea to to factories and companies and actually now in globally the majority of tea is grown by smallholders. A lot of people think it's big plantations, but it's actually smallholder farmers growing the majority of, of the tea. So that's the economy piece. It's like, how do how do we distribute the, the wealth? And I use the term wealth, um, maybe it's value is a more accurate term. Um, how do we distribute that value more e- evenly so that everybody can, can benefit from it? There's a distortion in where the slices of the pie are uh, shared and um, so that's economy we look at equality um, now this inequality is a global issue and it is exacerbated or more pronounced in tea in certain ways firstly women are working everywhere in tea uh, you know it's not it's not that women haven't got jobs in tea they have but they're often in awful jobs and they're at risk of gender-based violence they're often the ones who are earning less than a living wage and they're very vulnerable. The health and safety in the workplace is not um, often great. Um, and so, so that whole gender inequality and, and, and its worst manifestation, it's, it's gender-based violence. We see that in every tea-producing country in the world. Okay, So it's not just a cultural issue. It's not just where you think you know gender inequality is the problem. It's everywhere. Um, and at the same time, if we talk, for example, about a, a country in East Africa, Malawi, we're doing a lot of work there and, and figuring out what, what we can do more of. If you if you think that the majority of teenage girls don't finish school, and this isn't related to tea, this is just the context, okay? Teenage girls don't finish school. Child marriage is widespread and increased significantly during the pandemic, and we're not really sure why. Even more horrific than that, child pregnancies 
spiked during the pandemic. And so I'm not making excuses for tea, but this is the context and this is the, the kind of, these are the countries that we work in and these are the countries where tea is being produced. So naturally, um, some of those issues, cultural contextual issues come into tea and then sometimes in tea operations, those problems are exacerbated by power imbalances and so on. So that's the grim reality of gender inequality in tea. We also have concerns in certain countries about um, young people in tea. And this can come from children who are sometimes neglected because their parents go off to work or um, in really horrific circumstances, poverty leads families to traffic or sell their children. Um, and we have a huge program in, in India and North India to address child trafficking and, in, and protect empowered children, um, but also children working in tea supply chains. Um, and so, so we include children in our equality work as well. So really the main focus areas of equality are on women, on children and on health and safety in the workplace. So I'm getting now to my third E and it's slightly more straightforward, possibly not, but it's more widely understood, environmental sustainability. Um, and, and these are all the things that we now understand as mainstream media now to talk about climate change. But, but what's really interesting and unusual about um, tea is for quite some time and probably still somewhat today, people have thought because tea is a plant, it's not really got a carbon footprint or, you know, it's maybe it's, it's good to grow more tea because, you know, that's we need to plant more trees. But but really, there isn't consensus yet on what the environmental footprint is of tea. Um, and that's because it, the way it's grown is you are impacting biodiversity to grow tea. Often tea requires fertilizers, pesticides and other agrochemicals. So, so there's an uncertainty around the science around that. Um, you know, if, you, if you're pro-organic, you'll be very certain about the science. And um, some people are still debating the science around that. And then there's the logistics of tea. Um, tea does not grow um, in many of the countries where tea consumers sit. So we have to get tea from A to B. One of the organisations we work quite closely with, UK Tea and Infusions Association, they do a lot of work at the consumer end because actually, if you look at tea from where it grows to when you drink it, the biggest energy footprint is when you boil the kettle. And that's our, the, the organisation UKTIA has a smart boil campaign. Um, and, you know, it's, this, this is again comes back to consumer awareness. You, you make a cup of tea. How complicated can it be? <laughs> but, but all of a sudden you're thinking, you know, I, I actually should be responsibly boiling more, much less water to make sure that I'm not using excessive amounts of energy and, and so on and so forth. So just to recap, the three E's, economy, this is about wages and um, equal distribution of value. Equality is women and children, health and safety. And environment, we're looking at everything from the impact of climate change or the impact of tea or the contribution of tea to climate change. We're looking at regenerative agriculture. And the final issue in environment is um, often there's a deforestation issue in tea because the factories to produce the tea are, are very energy intensive and traditionally and historically um, wood has been burnt in furnaces which then are used to kind of bake the tea effectively and that's what takes the tea from the green leaf that's plucked to the brown dry product that we put into a cup or a pot to boil. I have, um, um, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm feeling after that really interesting probably. no yeah I feel my my heart hurts like quite literally yeah. my heart hurts when you were describing the amount of inequality the amount of it, it's not even lack of access it's 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 lack of just human decency there's no human mm -hmm. decency in the way that we're producing not just tea a lot of products but here we're talking about tea it's really hard for me to reconcile product that I love so much with so much pain and I am feeling a physical ache in my chest right now yeah. after everything you've yeah. described but it's also like married to this need to do something right now. I need to do something right now. And I think that's yeah. why a lot of people don't like necessarily talking about these issues because I, I feel completely powerless in this moment. I feel completely powerless. 
but you're, you're not. You're, I'm not exactly. So what I wanted you to say, I want you like you're not Marika. You're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so so the concept of modern slavery is, you know, I, I talk about these inconvenient truths, and what I mean is, you know, it do, it does have a, an impact on us as as human beings, as em, empaths. You know, we can't listen to these facts and figures about whatever product it is, and you know, obviously, I talk about tea, but. Many of the products we consume, the, the issues are known or covered in the media. You know, I, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago where some of the um, audience were agonizing about whether they should go to the Football World Cup in a few um, years. And because the modern slavery around the, the upcoming World Cup is it's rife. And, and so, so, you know, everything we do has a, a moral dilemma attached to it. But I think there's things that people can do, and it depends on how, how what degree, to, the degree to which you want to become an activist or engaged in it. So, so again, consumer choices is, is a really important thing. But there are also some very powerful um, legislations being introduced globally, um, you know, around modern slavery, around human rights, due diligence and supply chains. And I think one of the most effective things consumers can do is ask your preferred brands, what are they doing? Because I talk to these organisations um, and, you know, they come to the conversation voluntarily. And that, that's a privilege that I have because of who we are. But the companies listen much, much more to the consumer because you're the ones who are buying their product. So consumers have a, a head start in their activism because you can talk to them. They want to know what you care about. And that, that I don't think enough consumers exercise that power. Ask the question. You'll have, you'll have their attention. And, and if they think that consumers care about it or if they know that consumers care about it, they'll do more to meet the consumer's needs and wants. I mean, it, there are so many tea companies out there. They're competing. And if this is considered, considered to be something that they can have a competitive advantage on, then then of course it's going to be listened to. Oh yeah. I mean, as speaking as someone who works in a business, our entire business is entirely dependent on the customer experience. And absolutely that goes beyond just the taste and the flavor and the fun prints and the, you know, all the, the stuff yeah. that goes into it. As a consumer, you have a hundred percent right to ask a company what they're doing to make the world a better place. I think it's everybody's responsibility and companies are at the forefront of having the kind of power to help and to make those changes. You know, one yeah, person I'm may not be able to change something, but a whole company could actually contribute to making something really powerful. You know, there's some self-interest in me telling consumers to, to write to the companies because it, it builds a case of ETP. I'm not just that crazy woman over at ETP coming back to them about the same things because the consumers are saying it too. And, you know, this, it's about building a, a momentum around the agenda. And um, so I do, I do think on, on any product, consumers have the right to ask the questions. And actually ETP is doing a lot of work at the minute with our members to talk about transparency and how can companies open up a little bit more about what they're doing and the issues that they have and where they're buying tea in a way that's not threatening, in a way that doesn't make them feel very vulnerable. Uh, because, you know, there are there are activists who can destroy your brand. And I think some activists have, have had a really positive impact and, on, and created change. But some are, frankly, um, disruptive and obstructive. Um, and uh, there's a balance there. So companies need to be more transparent. Consumers can demand that transparency. And I think at some point in the future, we're going to look back and go, can you remember the days when companies didn't even talk about what their supply chains were doing? Something that I think consumers can do is really call for that kind of transparency and disclosure. But Marika, I promised you I'd come back to the three Ps. And well, the little now story you have there. to. You have to, well, because yeah, now quite, I'm like, I'm how do record. you, you're on record. Exactly. You're on record with this. And it, and, and my next question was like, how do you even start? Like, okay, we've yeah. identified the issues. What do you, what does ETP do and how can we support you more? I'm already on board. Right. Okay, great. So, so let me tell the story, which is about 25 years ago, a couple of tea companies came together to, um, to discuss the fact that there was a growing awareness of issues in the supply chains where they were buying tea. 
and they wanted to be a bit more structured and collaborative around what to do about it. Um, and so that was when Ethical Tea Partnerships' earliest form, that's when ETP was born. Um, and at that stage, the the organisation was auditing and trying to evaluate, identify, measure what was happening. And it was purely social at this stage. Um, 25 years ago, not a lot of discussions happening around climate and environment, unfortunately. But So it was primarily on the social issues. And so we developed a, a, an audit mechanism, an audit process, and would go to supply chains and, and look at what the issues were in, in those faraway places where our tea was being bought. Um, and we kind of converged with some of the large certification organisations like Rainforest Alliance and Fairtrade. And when you start to compete with brands like that, um, who are well established and have a whole machine behind them, and we were, I think, at the time, about six people. Um, you know, we couldn't compete. And I think it was a very wise decision was to say, OK, well, those years of auditing have given us a good understanding of what the issues are. Let's shift. Let's pivot our strategy and look at programs and projects. So these are these were um, what would have been typically CSR projects you know charity philanthropic projects which were interventions to say okay let's take an example I've talked about um child trafficking who can we work with to to set up a program in the tea communities in Assam who will address child trafficking and you know a, a, an organization that springs to mind would be UNICEF um, and so we, we set up a series of programs and and they went beyond CSR programs. They became huge collaborations with companies, with governments, with charities and NGOs and tea communities and tea producing companies as well. And brilliant, absolutely fantastic work. And we still do some of those programs. But the challenge with those programs, the weakness in those programs is once the funding dries up and once the partnership ends, the impact is not always sustained and so when I was reviewing the strategy a few years ago I thought okay we're looking at really deep systems problems here we're looking at things that there are so many forces at play here perpetuating the problem and um, creating the challenge and um, what else can we do and if I can digress slightly into the, the theory of systems change you need to push lots of levers at once in a kind of carefully orchestrated manner to create really big systems change. And so those levers that we looked at were, sure, the programs are brilliant. They're on the ground. They're um, having real tangible impact. But we also need to look at the policy in those countries. Um, what is it? What are the policies? What is the legislation that is contributing to the problems what, what's the what's the context? I talked about the Malawi context and inequality is a, a national issue in Malawi. Um, and so that, that's a contributing factor to these problems. Um, and then the third area, which I think is probably some of the coolest stuff we do and it's emerging for us, are the pilots. Um, and this is really looking at business pilots, business innovation. What are businesses doing that inadvertently contribute to the problem? One well, let me let me give you two straightforward examples to um, about that business innovation piece. The first is purchasing practices. How you buy your tea as a company at the end of that supply chain affects how that supply chain behaves. So, if you have a policy that you don't pay your suppliers for ninety days, one hundred and twenty days whatever it is and there are companies that have that policy you're depriving the whole supply chain of cash and guess what the small person at the end of that supply chain is going to be the one who feels that most okay mm -hmm. that that insecurity that you that you create by irresponsible purchasing practices can be really damaging so payment terms is one thing an enlightened company might say to a reliable producer i want to commit to buying your tea in this volume for the next two to three years at this price. The security that that gives the tea producer 
enables them to manage their workforce better, to plan staffing, to invest in operations and improvements. And part of that responsible purchasing can be a kind of, we'll buy it at this price in this volume for this time if you can show to us that you're going to have a more energy efficiency, efficient practice, um, factory, sorry, have women in leadership positions and demonstrate to us that you're aligned with our value. And we have a couple of our members who are really keen on that approach where they'll buy direct from a producer and in return, they want some commitment from that producer that they're upholding um, good practices. So that's one, yeah. Can I just say something like, one thing that's really important from a consumer, and I'll speak as a consumer right now, point of view, is that I know for a fact that the tea will taste better if the people yeah. making it feel safe, because then they yeah. will care about making the best product. Then they are able to, you know, uh, roast it or oxidize it in a certain way that'll create the best possible product because they're not worried about how they're going to feed their kids dinner. They're not worried about their own housing security. I mean, just from a very selfish, egotistical standpoint, if I want the best possible cup of tea, Offering someone security in their life will probably give me a much better cup. Yeah, and and you know we we we're very careful of how we talk about this because we don't want workers to sound like units of productivity, right? Um, but but you know an empowered or a rewarded workforce is more productive, and you know uh, that that sounds really cringe worthy to say it in those terms, but um. A happy workforce is a more productive workforce. Um, And productive doesn't necessarily mean quantity, but it also is, it can mean a pride in what you're doing. One of the most beneficial things is to have pride in the the product or the work that you're doing. And if somebody feels happy and proud of what they're doing, that's such a great gift. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I obviously visit quite a few of these tea producing sites as you approach a tea factory you know whether you're going to see clean floors um well-run um systems and happy people uh, versus the, the ones where there's kind of disrepair and and it, you have that sinking feeling and and i not every tea drinker has the privilege of going to a tea factory i get it but um you know th- th- that kind of happy workers manifests itself in so many ways and, and and the product that you get is a is is a better quality um and a better tasting product mm-hmm. for sure for sure um so that was one of the one of the business pilots i wanted to share with you the other one is um some work that we're researching in rwanda uh with a really cool partnership called the better than cash alliance and this is looking at um the addressing some of the problems with paying people in cash and cash payments is really common in agriculture um, because often the wages are so low that it, the transaction cost of putting it through a banking system is prohibitive but also many informal agriculture workers don't have bank accounts so they're not part of a financial system and so this creates huge vulnerability now the one of the kind of most obvious um, pitfalls from this is the person giving the cash payment has access to bags of cash that have to be distributed to workers. So guess what? Not everybody gets the full amount. The other problem is, and this is where gender inequality um, creeps in, is in some cultures, the woman might pluck the tea, but the husband takes the salary. Um, And it's really well researched that women who earn money lift their family out of poverty whereas men are much less effective at doing that and i and i'm you know yes i am a feminist but that that's that's data that's not me just making some sort of random comment um a woman lifts four people out of poverty when she is uplifted herself um whereas men don't frankly um so this better than cash alliance um partnership is looking at the the vulnerability of cash payments and what does it take to create um, digital payments for workers? They have to be part of the financial system. So we're working with banks and institutions in Rwanda. They have to work for companies who want to pay them 
digitally or or um, yeah through through the banks. And so that's where we come in. We bring we bring the the tea companies who who um, are prepared to commit to digital payments, um, and the government has to support this as well. They have to be willing to talk about transparency and um, in those payments as well. But at the end of the day, what we hope to achieve through this is workers, the right workers get the right amount of salary. Companies can see where their money has gone um, and banks gain customers and people become part of the financial um, system. And the government then has a financially literate workforce or a financially literate population who who, who contribute more to, to society. So, um, you know, that's a business pilot. The the key there is that companies have to commit to making those digital payments. Um, and um, that it's a simple example, but I think that that's pretty um, pretty cool if we can if we can get the data to support that. And um, so I've taught Marika about programs, pilots, and no, and I did mention policy. I've done policy, haven't I? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Those are, those are my three E's, my three P's. This is my problem. It's it, it feels like there's just so much more to unpack because you're not just working in one or two communities. You're working in mm-hmm. the major tea producing countries of the world, and not just on a national level, but on a community level in yeah. multiple places in these countries. I mean, you mentioned Malawi. Uh, I know you're in China, uh, Rwanda, uh, India. I mean, you're a little bit everywhere. So yeah. every the, the, it's easy to say the three yeah. E's and the three P's, and it makes it really digestible for everyone, but it's still an incredible machine and an incredibly complex thing because you can't just you know, one of the problem I have with certain organizations is they'll land in a new community or a new country or a new culture and they'll be like, hey, this is how it's worked in our culture. So why don't you just replicate that and we'll yeah. leave and you'll be fine. You'll be totally yeah. fine because it's worked out for us. You have to go there work with the people who are there, understand what their pitfalls, challenges, difficulties are, and do something that will lift them up as opposed to just making you feel better. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a yeah, to- totally. huge investment. And I do, I think that I'm going to blow the trumpet a bit of ETP here. We have, we're in seven countries and um, tea producing origins. We have teams in those countries. And these are people that are our colleagues in those countries have either worked in tea or they've worked for tea buyers or they've worked for the government. And we have brilliantly passionate people who are regularly out in the field who see the issues and come back and say, you know what, there's an emerging issue. This is where we started to pick up on the teenage pregnancies during the pandemic. Was So some of our colleagues started to see teenage pregnancies and started to bring it back and say, we're a bit, you know, we're worried about this. We don't know what the cause is. What can we do? So our international team is fantastic. They, they're on the ground. They're talking to tea stakeholders all of the time. And without those colleagues, we wouldn't be able to take our three E's and three P's and apply them to the context. Um, and every context is different. We're China, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India. So that's our Asia footprint. And then in Africa, it's Kenya, Malawi and Rwanda. And they're also different. They're also different. Um, but that's part of the challenge and the joy. It's it's wonderful because these are your colleagues. It really highlights the importance of a partnership. It's a two-way street. Sometimes it's a, a three-lane highway. I mean, it sounds, it can be- Or a very, crossroads. Yeah, or yeah. crossroads. But the importance of a partnership. I mean, that's why we call it, you call it the ethical tea partnership as opposed yeah. to like the ethical tea, I don't know, like monolithic organization. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's about working together and hearing the people who are there boots on the ground, what the issues are. And I think that's, that's amazing. What I loved also about your website is how transparent you are about your procedures and your data. Like normal, like I say normal people, like I'm talking about myself, just like normal people can just... Just go to your website and there, there are so many studies that are just available to read. You know, it's not like, Hey, we're doing great. Mind your own business. It's like some of the ones that I, I really enjoyed. You had obviously like climate change and tea, the briefing around it. It's a great report. Um, women in Assam. Fascinating, right? Yeah. Um, Again, when we were going through this strategy review a couple of years ago, 
it's fair to say we we consulted a lot of stakeholders and it's fair to say that there was frustration that ETP was sitting on a lot of wisdom and knowledge and insights from this fantastic international team we have. And there was that frustration what resulted in encouragement for us to articulate or disseminate and communicate what we knew about tea. Um, and it comes back to the point that we started at Marika, which is consumer awareness. So what's the point in ETP sitting grappling with these issues if we're not talking about them you know you just don't know where it's going to land you don't know where it's going to who's going to hear it and understand it and contribute so we got organized and the team has been doing some really brilliant work there's a fact sheet series we're working on responsible procurement practices coming up that's that's great and we've done quite a lot of Malawi so there's a Malawi gender fact sheet there's the Assam fact sheet and the climate report I thought was fantastic and we took that to COP the climate conference in Glasgow last year and it it's really it gives us something to talk about um, and it also shows that we're willing to listen to other perspectives so um, yes our opinion and our thoughts are in there but we also draw very openly on third-party data. So where there's something as contentious as wages, um, everybody has a perspective and everybody has the reasons why wages are what they are. Um, and, and so we try to be balanced on that. We are going to do some um, fact sheets on wages in, in the kind of coming months. And um, that is a really, I mean, I know the minute we press post on the, the wages fact sheet we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of conversations but that's good I mean it we have to stimulate that discussion and challenge some of the assumptions absolutely and the first you know the best way of dealing with it is about putting it out there and saying let's have a conversation and let's try to make it better yeah. right yeah. um yeah I just loved how open it was the uh the health diet survey I mean healthy mm. diets that was yeah. Great, because we also forget, you know, are people eating optimally? Are they eating the best for themselves? Like, or, you know, do they have access to it? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's maybe just a kind of little case study to talk about. Um, in um, India, in particular, some of the, well, it's, a, it's called the Plantation Labour Act, and it's um, from the British Empire past. Um, and what happened with that act was the tea producing companies, the plantation companies were given the burden of um, some social services such as housing, food, healthcare, and education for the workers. Now, the really negative impact of that burden was that wages were compromised because all of a sudden the companies were trying to fulfill the role of governments in most countries right i'm not making excuses for the, the producer companies at all but any anybody can look at that and say something's got to give and what what gives are the wages but also the quality of the healthcare the nutrition the housing and um the education that's provided so nutrition is a huge problem in tea communities and we, we've got a a wonderful partnership with GAIN, which is the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition in three countries, where we're working with tea communities to, to raise awareness of nutrition. And um, we also have a, a just a phenomenal program, which has just ended um, recently in Sri Lanka, where um, one of our members has funded something called the Women of Tea. And it's this beautiful little social enterprise model where we're teaching um, some of the community to grow healthy, nutritional vegetables. We've created supported community kitchens um, and the tea workers buy their lunch food from these healthy kitchens. We've got women from the community who are growing the vegetables, growing, frankly, fantastic tasting food. I, I bought my lunch there one day. It was amazing. And um, but, but what we've worked with a nutritionist who has taken what's traditional food and enhanced it so that they're using um, enriched flour or um, more green veg or, or the, the local beans for protein and um, addressing the local malnutrition issues such as anemia. And um, 
and and it's just such a cool little model. So the, the women who are working in the kitchen are earning a, a, an income from running these kitchen kiosks. The workers are getting local food that they like and know and they feel good about it and it's affordable. And then the food is all locally grown as well. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that through partnerships um, and through support from the companies, we, we can run those programs and and that has actually resulted in that same company then funding a nutritionist who will work exclusively in tea plantations and tea communities in Sri Lanka to help address those those nutrition issues um so a simple comment like diets and you get me talking about old laws and um food rations and and social enterprises. But it's amazing because it's something that we take for granted in the West. You know, you Mm -hmm. should have a healthy diet, you know. But just asking that question as you did, you uncovered what can only be considered a antiquated, somewhat prehistoric law that simply isn't applicable to our modern life, that is detrimental to the people who work there and in no way benefits their health or growth as humans. It just sounds like such incredibly fulfilling work i mean i just yeah. <laughs> i want to join etp <laughs> well have a look at our website there's a page called vacancies <laughs> not that many vacancies but yes um you know it, it, it is we, we we love what we do and we, we, the, the team is very passionate about what we're doing you know that is often um balanced or offset if you like by the scale of the challenge we are only a certain number of people. It's enormous. It's, it is really hard work. Um, and yeah, our hearts are heavy some days um, because it's just intractable, some of it. No, I can only imagine. But um, it's it's it, I, I don't feel as heavy as I did when we first started, where it just felt the weight of the world within me. Oh. I feel like there is hope. My my friends and family hate talking to me because I get managed to make them feel guilty about everything. It's like, and did you know that that you're drinking or that that you're eating? And and yeah, it, it's um yeah. But I, I I think awareness is the first step to change. Um, we need people like you. We need the Debbie Downers <laughs> and the. And the- <laughs> I, I I try. I don't know what the equivalent upper is, but I try to be an upper sometimes as well. <laughs> right. Well, it definitely succeeded with me. I'm feeling much better. I'm feeling much more um, educated, and I'm feeling like I can be more proactive in my choices. And it it's a really, really, really good feeling. I'm gonna have to put a pin in it because I have so many other questions. But you know, this is a one hour podcast and not a docu series. <laughs> but um, I have been drinking orange peco this whole time. Mm, okay. It's my get her done tea when I just need to get her done. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yep. I, I just, I need a, a good cup that'll sustain me with something that uh, a problem I need to tackle or an issue I need to fix. Um, if I start my day with orange peco, I'm, I'm solving it. I'm fixing it. I'm working on it. So like, that's the tea that I drank with this conversation. And in the beginning, I just kept thinking like, oh, this is a really heavy tea for such a heavy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it worked out. It worked out really well because it, it just reminds me that like, yeah, just get her done. Just, just work on it slowly and patiently and listen and be receptive and we can solve it. And, 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 you know, the, the word mindful is has become really widespread in, in the vernacular these days. And, but I think mindful choices and, and, and mindful consumption uh, goes a long way to, to you know, making those right choices. Could not have said it better myself, honestly. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We're going to take a break and we'll be right mm-hmm. back. Today's episode of Steeping Together is brought to you by Organic Silk Dragon Jasmine. Scented through a meticulously magical five-night process involving freshly gathered night-blooming jasmine flowers, this spring-plucked premium green tea is a floral treasure worthy of any dragon or tea drinker's hoard. The best part? This tea, like all of our Camellia Sinensis teas, contributes to the ethical tea partnership's efforts to make a more fair and sustainable tea industry. So, Silk Dragon Jasmine, supporting positive change so you can feel good about stashing away that extra tin of tea, couple of boxes of sachets, bag of refill tea, that second refill bag, and more. We're not here to judge. 
Welcome back. It's time to play What Are You Drinking? The quiz where we ask our guests three situational questions, some realistic, some completely out there, and they have to use all their experience and expertise to tell us what they would drink in any one of these situations. Jenny, are you ready to play What Are You Drinking? Hit me with it. Go on then. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Question one. It's been a long day of meeting after meeting after meeting. And although they were thankfully all productive, you are more than ready to call it a day. What are you drinking? Mm. I'm going to go down the David's Tea promotion route here. Uh, (laughs) Unpaid, but I do love their Oolong Golden Lily tea. (gasps) Isn't it good? Isn't it's it good? so good. Yeah, I don't. I mean, obviously, I work for David C. And it's going to sound like I totally paid you to say this, and that I'm. No, that's but, but honestly, like it. it's so good. So I was having it just because it's the afternoon here, and you know, I, I try and just kind of go a bit lighter in the afternoon. Um, and I was thinking it it's kind of got that rich and creamy, but it's still quite light, and there's something comforting about that. So that that's what I would drink after a really busy day and it's just it it there's something about the discipline and the moment of having a cup of tea that gives you time it, it gives you pause and and yeah that would be my tea at that at that moment I mean I'm completely biased I could not agree with you more because as <laughs> listeners of this podcast know green oolongs is my happy place that's where I go okay right yeah. Th- that is my I deserve this moment you know mm. I, I need this to happen there's something about even just the way that the the leaves unfurl that is just very calming and beautiful and it's a pretty tea whether it's dry or it's made it's very pretty so yeah and there's a reason that, that, that it has such a kind of exquisite reputation so um so that would be um yeah after a busy day i think that that's a, a treat to oneself that isn't going to send you on sort of some sort of buzz and and um you know it, it kind of comforts you so that that felt like the right answer for that question oh a thousand points i mean there's no points <laughs> But a thousand but points I, for I that answer. Good, good. I'm glad. Scoring well. I don't know whether you like my next answers, but let's see. We'll see. <laughs> you, you started off so well. I, I cannot possibly I reprimand I you. But... I've, got, I've, got, I've got a lot to live up to now. Okay. Exactly. All right. Question two. Why you decided to wear a pair of heels today is beyond you, but you thought it couldn't hurt. That is right up until the point one of the heels broke and you found yourself hobbling uncomfortably down the street on your way to work. It's only like, you know, six more blocks. You're going to need a good cup of something as soon as you get to the office. Uh What are you drinking? Uh (laughs) Oh, well, you know, since pandemic and since working from home, I've really stopped wearing heels, um, which has been one of the upsides of these dreadful few years. But I do remember the days of wearing heels. And I do remember that awful, awful feeling of walking about, you know, you walk from your bedroom mirror to the door and you think, I can do this, I can do this. You get out the door and you just think, oh, good grief. So I am... I think given the time frame, it sounds like this is the morning. I'm probably going to keep it decent and say it would be a cup of strong coffee, but with cream. Because in the UK, we tend not to drink cream in our coffee as much as over on the other side of the pond. Um, and cream always feels very decadent. It feels like a real treat. So so the strong coffee give me strength, the cream just to kind of hopefully ooze its way down to my sore toes and help me through the heels. Um, but on the way home, I'll be honest, Marika, I will probably have a glass of wine by the time I get home after a day in those heels because, yeah, heels make you feel a bit sassy. They make you feel, and I just, I think the glass of wine is fitting. So, so that's what I'd be drinking. You know, I, uh, I again, couldn't agree with you more, but for very different reasons. The first question, Mm -hmm. I really found myself to be in simpatico with you. Like we were on the same vibe. I have worn a pair of heels, I think once in my life. So it's a very alien situation to me. So the fact that your answer are coffee and wine, two things I do not consume. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Because the entire situation sounds bonkers to me. Yes. Okay. So let's throw coffee and wine and two other improbabilities in. Yep. (laughs) Why not? I'd probably do the same. I'd be so out of uh, my comfort zone that I'd be like, 
Give me cream. Yeah. And my, but I, I like the, I like the specificity that you said about adding cream. I didn't know that not adding cream to coffee wasn't like a very British uh-huh. thing. Oh um, no. And it's a real, um, I grew up in Northern Ireland and, you know, when my parents had dinner parties, it was always very posh. If people were given a cup of coffee with cream at the end of the dinner party, that was, that was an indication of how special the guests were. And, and I just associate it with being a real treat. It's like my kind of um, Sunday treat to have maybe some cream in my coffee instead of bog standard oat milk, which which is also lovely, but but different. I love it. Just yeah, just I think you understood the you understood the assignment perfectly and the moment perfectly. <laughs> I felt it. Oh, they're awful. Yeah, they're good for no one. No, yeah. they're the worst. But I mean, no shade on the heel industry. You guys are doing great. It's just, it's just not for us. We're inclusive inclusive over here, but yeah, not for us. Not Not for us. us. Exactly. All right. Excellent. Um, third question. Mm -hmm. You've been wandering the desert for days and you are so thirsty just Mm -hmm. as you're about to give up. You found it. Your deus ex machina. You reach for the genie's lamp half buried in the sand and rub. As the genie pops out, he looks to you. And before you can even speak, says, wow, you look rough, kid. How about we get you something to drink? Anything you want. Don't worry about losing a wish. This one's on me. What are you drinking? Well, I reckon when you said desert, my mind sprung to North Africa. Um, And I love mint tea north african mint tea you know that kind of moroccan um and there's something so thirst quenching about it so so i think i'm probably drinking a mint tea from morocco or north africa and that that is just fresh and um yeah i'll i'll forgive the genie for the you look rough comment and i'll just focus on getting the mint tea out of it <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i love how like you were on the you were on the verge of like death, and still yeah. you're like genie, really, really. Yeah. No, nobody needs to hear it. Nobody needs to hear it. <laughs> Not helpful right now, genie. <laughs> Great. How about you get to it? I love um I love the regional specificity of your answer. Yeah, and yeah, um, you know I do know that there are deserts elsewhere, but I that was just the first thing that sprung to mind. Uh, uh, probably. And um, one of the books I love reading as, as a kid was The Little Prince. And that was always just, you know, the airplane cl- crashed in the desert. And it just always felt like, yeah, Sahara, North North Africa. So um, let's go mint tea. It makes sense. I mean, I, I've only been to Morocco ever. Um, and what I loved was even in that heat, and sometimes it was mint, sometimes it was, you know, sage, sometimes it was a different herb. Even in that heat, the the hot cup of tea just equalizes your body temperature. You feel so refreshed. It's such a, an amazing, amazing experience to have. And yeah, if you've got this genie at your beck and call, like serve it up. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, they put the sugar in. So the sugar that someone else puts in doesn't count. I've heard that. Um, <laughs> so you're drinking hot, sweet tea. What could be better? And the sugar doesn't count. So it's great. literally nothing better well done i mean you already got the thousand points on the first question and there are no points or winning at this game but you won jenny you found a way thank you thoroughly enjoyed the game and and i'm I'm glad all my answers weren't wine which which is um also a possibility but no i do i do love i do love the kind of range of teas coffee and occasionally a glass of wine as well so that was good I think if you like tea, you have a proclivity for enjoying other beverages. Not in my case, yeah. but uh, you enjoy that that sensation, and it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and and there is no such thing as just one tea. It's a it's a range of teas. Tea is a range of products, um, and and it's it's just fun to explore and think about the different ones and the different moments that you can drink them. So that's my second pitch for tea. I, I love it. No, it, it's a range and it's a diversity and it comes from so many different places. And, you know, if we're going to consume products from those places, we have a responsibility towards the people who are in those environments, making this product to know more about them and to know 
more, uh, not to, to say help. You don't want to say you want to help them. You want to, you want to lift everyone up. You want everyone yeah. to benefit. It's about lifting everyone up. And I just cannot thank you enough for the conversation today. I wish it could go on longer. I genuinely do. I, let, let's do a documentary next time. We'll, we'll <laughs> I mean, give ourselves two hours and we can just talk forever. So, so. <laughs> we should, we absolutely should. For anybody listening right now, if you couldn't join in this particular conversation, I really genuinely encourage you to visit ethicalteapartnership.org and see all of the amazing work that they've done and how you can contribute in your own way, in your choices, in just opening your mind to the possibilities of what can be done on this planet right now, because there's a wealth of information and it's all there for you. Um, So Jenny, thank you so, so much. Marika, I really enjoyed the conversation. It's great fun. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. And thank you again, listeners, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to reach us with comments, questions, or suggestions for the What Are You Drinking game, you can do so at steeping.together at davidstea.com or through our website, davidstea.com. Have a great week and happy steeping, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>